Good evening, everyone. How are you today? I'm delighted to see you. Did you have a good day? Good, so did I. Because time flies so fast, I want to jump right into the message. But I must ask first to see all those who are with us for the first time, please raise your hands. Uh, this is very encouraging. God bless you. Thank you for coming. And as usual, those of you who've been here every night so far, may I see your hands. God be with you. And those in between, God bless you. Thank you for coming. I hope you're being blessed from night to night. Our subject for tonight is how to succeed without being a genius. How to, <laughs> how to succeed without being a genius. And I, uh, I know by the time I get to the middle of the message, many more people will be here, but I wish they were here now. But we'll see what we can do. How to succeed without being a genius. Let me say that we will have a special or an additional presentation on Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. Uh, beginning at 10 o'clock, another addition to our series. We usually go just at nights with no service on uh, Saturday night, but I have so much to tell you. We've added one more meeting, or a couple more. The first one will be this Saturday morning right here at 10 o'clock. So please... Make arrangements to come before you go to the ballpark or wherever you go on Saturday mornings. Make some time, come here first, then dash off to wherever you have to go. I will be looking for you. So will Christ. Don't break our hearts. Let us bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, I come to you, Lord, as your son and your servant. My request is simple and direct and earnest. I am dealing with spiritual things and I need your help. I ask you in the name of Jesus, a name you cannot resist. Help me. Give me the words. In the person of your spirit, stand with me. Let me lean my full weight upon you as I speak. Open the hearts of those who are listening, dear God that the words of truth from your throne through my lips may find a resting place in their hearts to your glory and our development. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. How to succeed without being a genius. There are many people who believe in order to get ahead in life, in order to succeed, in order to excel you have to be genetically connected to Einstein or Leonardo da Vinci or some other genius. But the Bible lays out some principles of work. Whether you're working in an office or in a classroom, the Bible has some guidance for us that if we follow, the quality of our work will improve dramatically to our benefit and to God's glory. How to succeed without being a genius. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, and you know that so well, the Bible says, And God, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The word created means worked. Now why do I say that? Let us go to chapter 2 and verse 2 of the book of Genesis. 
as we continue with the subject, how to succeed without being a genius. We've just read in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now in Genesis 2, verse 2, the Bible says, and on the seventh day, God ended his what? His work. So that created in Genesis 1.1 and work in Genesis 2.2 are essentially the same thing. When God was creating, God worked. And so the fourth commandment says, For in six days the Lord made, He worked, He did, He created, He did something. So God worked. And by the way, according to scripture, the first person in scripture recorded as having worked is God. Come on, say amen for God. God invented work. Can you say amen? Now we don't like it, but God likes work. The first person I say again in scripture to work is God. We call his work creation. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 2, chapter 2 of Genesis. And on the seventh day, God ended his work. God is the first person to work. And as a blessing to Adam and Eve and all those who would come from them, God gave work to the human race to serve as a blessing. A physical blessing, a spiritual blessing, a moral blessing, because work is designed not only to teach us lessons of life, but also to bless us spiritually. And so in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. This was the heart and soul of Adam's work. Management of God's environment, of God's creation. Dress it, keep it, take care of it. That is your work. Point number one. God is the first person in scripture to work. Now, God does not work in a disorganized way. As we continue the subject, how to succeed without being a genius. God always has first a purpose, then a plan to carry out that purpose. You see, God is organized. And those of us who call ourselves his children, we should behave like him and be organized. Because the Bible says God is not the author of confusion. The Bible also tells us, let all things be done how? Decently and in order. Order is a law that operates in heaven. God, I say, is a God of purpose and plan. Because he's a God of organization. So we begin with the fact God God is not ashamed of work. Now, when God came to create, before creation, there first had to have been, in God's mind, a purpose. Let us see examples of God beginning with a purpose. Jeremiah chapter 1, reading verses 4 and 5. As we continue with the subject, what is our subject for tonight? How to succeed without being a genius. All geniuses, raise your right hand. Right, we have one all the way in the back. But she pulled down her hand very quickly before the person next to her can pull it down for her. All right. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Do we have that? Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Now listen to what God tells Jeremiah. Verse 5. Before I formed thee 
in the what? Belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctify thee, which means set apart, and I ordain thee a prophet unto the nations. Now, what we have in verse 5 is God explaining to Jeremiah that I had a purpose for you before your father met your mother. And my purpose was, I need someone to go speak a particular message to Jerusalem. Because I know that the Babylonians have a certain plan for Jerusalem to overthrow it. Now I need to speak to my people in Jerusalem. But it will be a tough job. I need a particular kind of man. And way before Jeremiah's parents were even born, God had a purpose. I need a messenger to go to Jerusalem at a certain time in history. Now, I need a message to go to Jerusalem. I need a message to carry it out, a messenger. So God says, I have a message to give to Jerusalem. How will I do that? I will use a messenger. What messenger? I will bring Mr. Jeremiah, Mrs. Jeremiah together so that they can produce for me. Come on, say amen. <laughs> Your children belong to God. Say amen. That they can produce for my business, for my work, a boy, a little fellow called Jeremiah. I have seen him. I know exactly what he looks like. But he doesn't know my plan for him. I've got a purpose. And my purpose is the only reason why I'm giving him life. You didn't get that. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If God has no purpose for you, he doesn't give you life. Because God doesn't give life for us to waste. Let's look at someone else for whom God first had a purpose, then he gave him life. Luke chapter 1. As we continue with the subject, how to succeed without being a genius, we've established that God is the first person in scripture to work. God honored work by working himself and gave work to us. And we must work until we die. The fact that you retire from the plant does not mean you sit at home in a rocking chair. We must find something to do until we die. Luke chapter 1, reading from verse 10, the Bible says, And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of the incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither one nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This was the purpose. And he wasn't yet born. Elizabeth was not even pregnant. God has purpose first. Then he brings something into existence to carry out that purpose. Is that clear? By the way, God has a purpose for you, but that's another sermon. Or oh, you thought you were alive because of what? 
Genetic engineering? Mm -mm. You are alive because God said so. And God gave you life and gave me life to carry out a particular function. God has informed me some time ago that he gave me life to do precisely what I am doing. Find out why God gave you life. He did not give you life to put drugs in your veins. He did not give you life to, to mug people. He did not give you life to abuse your wife. He did not give you life to steal and rob. He did not give you life to disgrace yourself and others in society. He gave you life to glorify Him. Amen. So God is the first to work. Work is honorable. God has a purpose in mind before He brings something into existence. Now, when God brings something into existence, it comes into this thing called time. Before creation, there was no time. That's why Genesis chapter 1 verse 5 says, And the evening and the morning were the first day. So the heavenly beings, the angels and God and whoever else were up there or are up there, they did not live, they did not have days. Days were begun by God during the week of creation of this world and the solar system to which it belongs. God has a high view of time. Now, let me define time for you. What is time? Time is a unit that measures existence. A minute is a measurement of existence. An hour is a measurement of existence. A day, a week, a month, a year, a decade, a century, a millennium. God, I say, has a high view of time, that which we waste without thinking twice. That's not the way God views time. You see, here's another definition of time. Time is now a quarter to eight, believe it or not. I must find a way to slow down the time when I'm here. How many of you are here at seven o'clock on the dot? Raise your hands. All right. You've been here 45 minutes. You have spent 45 minutes of time in this place. You know what else you've done? You have lived 45 minutes. Am I right? This is not a graveyard. Am I right? If you were here from 7 o'clock, it's now 7.45, you have not just spent 45 minutes, you have lived 45 minutes. Time is the measurement of life for all practical purposes. Time is life for when you die, time ceases for you. So when you waste time and I waste time, what are we wasting? Life. And to whom does life begin to be belong? To God. When we waste time, which is wasting life, we are wasting that which properly belongs to God. Whether you're a student wasting time on a basketball court when you ought to be studying, or you're a worker in the plant wasting time sleeping when you ought to be on the job. Time is life. And God takes life seriously because he gives it and he can take it back. God is the first person to work. How to succeed without being a genius. Put your mind to work. Two, God always has a purpose. What are your plans for tomorrow? Don't tell me. What are your plans when you leave here tonight? God has a purpose. And he carries out that purpose. He begins with a purpose. So he's not disorganized. He does not wake up in the morning if God wakes up to use human language and then asks himself, what shall I do today? 
God does not do that. When God goes to bed, if he goes to bed, I'm using human language, he already knows what he will do when he wakes up. So he wakes up energized by a specific purpose for that day. He's not aimless. What's your purpose for tomorrow? God worked. First person to work, he honored work. Two, God always has a purpose. Three, God has a high view of time. Let me show you how high a view of time God has. We've seen the time is life. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. Let's go down there as we continue how to succeed without being a genius. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. Take notes. Take them to your friends who should have been here. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Now, of all the things God made that week of creation, the only thing he sanctified and blessed was time. He could have sanctified the trees which he made on the third day. He could have sanctified the sun. After all, the sun represents Christ in a certain way. The sun of righteousness. He could have sanctified the fish. He sanctified time. The very first thing God made holy on this earth was time. Now, how can you and I have a low view of time when God has such an elevated view of time? Our view of time must be like God's view, high. Like father, like son. God has a high view, I say, of time. So he worked, first person to work God. The fact that God did it makes it honorable. Two, God always has a purpose in mind. He is not aimless and purposeless. Three, he has a very elevated view of time. Four, God has specific activities for every day. On the first day, he made light. On the second day, the firmament. Third day, vegetation. Fourth day, sun, moon, and stars. Fifth day, fish, birds. Sixth day, land animals, human beings. Specific activities for each day. And what he had arranged for day three, he would not do on day two. And so in John chapter 2, if you'll go there with me, we'll see that operating, this principle of each thing at its proper time. John chapter 2. As we continue, how to succeed without being a genius. John chapter 2, reading from verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Verse 3, and when they wanted wine, they ran out of wine. The mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Verse 4, Jesus saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come. The time for fancy miracles has not yet come. Jesus did things at certain times. There was a schedule to his life. Now you may call that being anal, but it's not being anal or nasal or oral. It is being organized. 
But the carnal nature loves this organization. But order and discipline are from God. Lack of discipline is from beneath. And that's why many students do not succeed in school. They have no discipline. Many people never get ahead in life. They have no discipline. They need the Nike philosophy. Just do it and quit bellyaching. My hour has not yet come. Now go to John 17 verse 1. In chapter 2 verse 4 he said, My hour has not yet come. John 17 verse 1. The Bible says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Now it's time. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. The hour is come. Now is the time for proper things to happen in their proper time. God does specific things at specific times. You seem not to like what I'm saying. I keep getting three and a half amens. I want more. I'm willing to pay. Do you know what amens do for a preacher? You have no clue. Well, take my word for it. It gives the preacher strength. I feel a little weak. Strengthen me. What do you say? There you go. All right. Remember now, you'll be, this thing will be shown all over the world. You get to be a superstar. All right. Let us review. One, God is the first person in scripture to work. Work is good. Work is honorable. And work should go on until the grave. You can work from a wheelchair. I knew a man many years ago. He passed away now to his rest. He couldn't walk. He was in a wheelchair. What he did, he listened to services and he recorded the services. And from his wheelchair, he sent out the tapes to people who did not know Christ. He worked. Only death should make work impossible. Two, God always has a purpose. Three, God has a high view of time. Four, God has specific activities for specific days. Five, God always does all that needs to be done at the time it needs to be done. Now, we get that clue in a phrase that recurs in Genesis chapter 1. In verse 5 we read, and the evening and the morning were the first day. We read that for the second day, the third, the fourth the fifth, the sixth. The evening and the morning were the sixth day. The e- meaning that when God was finished with his work on the first day, he was done. And having completed his work to the best of his divine ability, with a clear mind, God can turn to day two. And the responsibilities of day two When those were done, we read in the sacred record, and the evening and the morning were the second day, God turned his back and went to day three. Which means, if you read Genesis 1 carefully, God, when he got to day five, did not say, oops, I forgot something I should have done on day two. Let me go back because you can't go back. God does not go back and change history. Now, he covers our past sins with the righteousness of Christ. Now, you may call that changing history. I don't know. But God does not go back and have the Israelites, instead of coming out of Egypt, coming out of Turkey. Mm -hmm. 
So when God was done with day two, he was done, which means that in God's system of work, there is no such thing as procrastination. All that had to be done on day one was done when? Day one. Here is the rule that will bring you success along with other rules. Monday's work when? Tuesday's work when? Wednesday's work when? Thursday's work when? Friday's work when? Saturday's work when? And no work on that day. What do you mean? <laughs> Sunday's work when? Come on, say amen. Be organized one day at a time. When you leave Monday's work for Wednesday, you are being presumptuous. You are assuming you'll be alive on Wednesday. You may be shocked. Wake up dead. No one has a receipt for a long life signed from God until he comes. That one is signed with the blood of Christ. This present life, for the Christian, it can end like that. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul had his head cut off. James had his head cut off. Therefore, out of respect and regard for the fact that God gave you and me life today, we fill that day with the best that we can do. We don't know if we'll be alive tomorrow. Do that homework today. Go to the library and do that research assignment today. Don't say I'll wait until tomorrow. Tomorrow may not come. When you wait until tomorrow, even if it does come, what you have now, two days work in one day. What does that produce? Frustration, a short temper, you're hyper, people are put off, and the Spirit of God cannot be seen in you. You're pressured, you're pressed, because too much for one day. God's example is one day at a time. That's enough. Jesus said, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Don't worry about tomorrow too much. If tomorrow comes, jump out of bed, say hallelujah, and start on that day's work. So God is the first person to work. God always has a purpose. God has a high view of time. God has activities for every day. And God completes all the activities for each individual day. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh where no man can work. What does that mean? Another point to keep in mind, take advantage of opportunities. That's what day means in that context. You see, day and night, when God made the earth, his plan was work in the day, sleep at night. Now, please don't be angry with me. Most people don't do that. Some people work in the day and work in the night. But Bible's plan was work in the day, sleep at night. God did not invent the graveyard shift. God didn't. I don't know who did, but I'm telling you who did not. God did not come up with the graveyard shift because God knew the body was not designed for the graveyard shift. It was designed to work in the day and sleep at night. And so Jesus says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, while I have the opportunity. The night cometh when no man can work. 
Because opportunities past can never be regained. What you can do today, do. God worked first, always has a purpose, high view of time, activities for every day, does every activity on that day. There's something else God does. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, reading verse 10. As we continue, how to be a genius, how to succeed without being a genius. Ecclesiastes 9, reading verse 10. Who wrote Ecclesiastes? Solomon, yes. What's a word for Solomon? He is the... And the... The Ecclesiastes, meaning the preacher, yes. The preacher. Read Ecclesiastes sometime and Proverbs. Reacquaint yourself with the pearls of wisdom condensed in those two books. Ecclesiastes 9.10 The wisest man who ever lived, and God gave him that wisdom, said this. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it how? Now, this is where many of us fall flat on our faces. The secret of excellent work is not being a genius. It is putting everything you have into what you do. Is that all I can get? You must not like me or what I'm saying. Let me say it again. Before I say it, let me tell you this. I counseled for 15 years at the University of Michigan, most of them in a medical school. And I ran into students who were convinced that they were morons. I can't do this. I cannot do dentistry. I cannot do medicine. I've had people cry. In my, I cannot do this. And my job was to disagree politely and firmly and without their knowing, prayerfully. They thought they weren't bright enough. I have seen students who came from the worst conditions possible, the inner city, which we view as, that's no place to come from, but I've seen some gems and some jewels come from that place. And I said, look, all you have to do is take care of business, work. Do more work than play. There's no commandment that calls for you to play. There's one that calls for you to work, one for you to rest. No commandment to play. You work. You don't pay thousands of dollars to come to a campus to play. You can stay home and play for free. You come here and work. And work every day. Go to all the classes, talk to your teacher, make friends with students who are bright. You don't know, ask questions, come see me regularly. I have seen them graduate from the University of Michigan Law School. I've seen them graduate from Harvard, Stanford, doctors, lawyers, you name it. Why? Not because they thought they were bright, but because what their hands found to do. They did it. How? With their might. That's how God works. God does the very best he can. That's why he sent Jesus and not an angel. When God has to do something, it is the very best he can do. Now he expects that of us, his children. Whatever you've got to do, 
or you're doing, are you giving it your very best effort? I say again, that is one of the fundamental secrets of excellence in whatever a person does. But it requires the discipline of God. It requires knowing that certain things must be done at a certain time. And it also requires knowing there's such a thing as prioritization. And when a person's life is prioritized, that which is at number one never suffers because of number seven. You take time from number seven, give it to number one. You don't take time from number one and give it to number eight. As many students do, take time from studies and give it to basketball. Or to girls or boys. Not only is that ungodly, it is unwise and stupid. First things, first. And that law must apply how often? All the time. First things, first. Why are you in school? Give me one word or two words. To learn or to study. Then study. <laughs> now, what's so difficult about that? I'll tell you what. The absence of discipline. Something has to be done. Do it. You think Calvary was fun? You think Jesus woke up the night before Calvary and said, Oh boy. I'm going to Calvary today. No. But because of love, he realized it was necessary for salvation. It needed to be done. And he did it. Regardless of how he felt. Don't tell me I don't feel like studying. I don't care how you feel. Do you need to study? If the answer is yes, study. Let's discuss feelings when you're done. Do you have children? Raise them. Tell me they cry too much. Raise them. You're a preacher? Preach the word. Don't tell a lot of stories. Preach the word. Do what needs to be done. One, God is the first person in scripture to work. That makes work honorable. Two, God always has a clear purpose. Why am I doing what I am doing? We must be able to answer that question. Three, God has a high view of time. On the issue of a high view of time, let me give you some additional information. God is never late. We're those late people who said amen. <laughs> God is never late. Listen to your brother who loves you. He is never late. Late. Let me show you biblical evidence of that. Go to Genesis chapter 17. As we continue how to succeed without being a genius. But if your children didn't come with you, summarize this message and pass it on to them. Genesis 17, this is God speaking to Abraham. And God tells Abraham in verse 16 of Genesis 17... That Sarah will have a child. I will give thee a son also of her. She shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Verse 17. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to him that is hundred years old? And shall Sarah, that is a ninety years old, bear? Abraham doesn't believe this. 
Then Abraham says to God in verse 18, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Because when Abraham heard God said, I'm going to give you a son, and he already had one, he understood God did not want Ishmael. When I say did not want, I mean as far as the plan of salvation was concerned. Abraham is afraid God will kill Ishmael. So verse 18, Abraham pleads for the life of his firstborn son physically. Verse 19, and God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. That's what God tells him. Then he tells him in verse 20, he will bless Ishmael. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. Verse 21, God says, but my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee when? At this set time in the next year. Notice the expression, this set time. That is specific. Go to chapter 18. Here again, God comes down with two angels and he speaks to Abraham. Abraham's tent. Verse 10, he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent, though, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were both old and well-stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old. Also, in verse 13, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Verse 14, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time, what? Appointed. I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son according to the time, the time appointed, the set time. Go to chapter 21. How to succeed without being a genius. Genesis chapter 21. Reading from verse 1. Now if you have the King James Version, read it with me. Let's get a choir reading God's word. Are you ready? And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and made Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. The set time. The exact time. What am I saying? God is always on Those of you who are professionals, you know the dangers of being late. You have an appointment with your CEO and you're late. You must have no interest in your future, in your retirement, in your IRA, in your annuity, in whatever. You must have no interest in your professional name. You're not late. The chairman of your department schedules a meeting and you're late. Am I talking the truth? Yes. God is never late. Let me give you an example even more extreme because it's just from one year to the next. Go to Genesis 15 quickly. We're running out of time. Running out of life. <laughs> Genesis 15. Don't panic. God is good. God can lengthen your life forever. If you're obedient to him. If you're not obedient now, God won't put you in a new world to start disobedience all over again. He won't do that. And I'm just digressing. Just to put it on your mind, the only people who will be in the new world are those who obey now. Because the reason why Adam was cast out of the original world was because he disobeyed. It makes all the sense in the world. You want to be in the new world? Answer me. Obey. 
Genesis 15. Verse 13. And this is God speaking. He says to Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. Verse 14. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with, with great substance. But thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt be buried in a good old age. That's Abraham. God told him he'll die. But in the fourth generation, verse 16, they shall come hither again, for the liquid of the Amorite is not yet full. Now God is saying, after 400 years, I'll bring them out of Egypt. Go to Exodus 14. Let's read verses 40 and 41. You won't believe your eyes. But believe them anyhow. Exodus 14, verses 40 and 41. Exodus 12, sorry, verses 40 and 41. 12, not 14, 12. 40 and 41. Do we have that? Now the time, of, now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was how long? 430 years. And it came to pass, verse 41, at the end of the 430 years, even the self same day, it came to pass. That all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. After 400 years, God was still on schedule. The Bible says the very day God said they come out, they came out. Because God is always on time. Are we his people? Are we? How would you like your employer to pay you late every month? Always on time. Let's review. First person to work is God. By the way, first person to rest as well, because Adam and Eve had nothing to rest from. Two, God always has a purpose in mind. You must have a purpose for tomorrow. Plan it before you go to bed. Three, God has a high view of time, because time is life, and God uses it wisely. Four, God has specific activities for every day. Look at how he created on the first uh, the, the Genesis chapter 1. 5. God does everything he needs to do on specific days. 6. God does his very best. What he finds to do, he does it with his might. Next principle to keep in mind. God reviews his work. Let's go to verse 31 of chapter 1. Verse 31 of chapter 1. Book of Genesis, I should say. Genesis 1, verse 31. How to succeed without being a genius. The Bible says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Now, what does that mean, God saw? God looked over one week of creation. Of course, he did it every day. Now, this is a summary activity. And he saw that everything he did was good. Very good. Having established the quality of his work, what did God do? He rested. Which means a lazy person has no right to rest. No right at all. Here's what you should do at the end of every day. Before your head hits that pillow, 
or before your eyelids come down. You look back at the day. What did I do today? Because if we don't evaluate and review, we end up doing the same things all over again. Who wants to perpetuate mediocrity? Look back over the day. Students, you sit an exam, you get the results. If it's not 100%, find out why. Why did I miss one point? What was it I didn't know? Get that information so when you see that question again, the result will be points. Review. What did I do today? How well did I do it? Where did I fail in my duties? Where was I sloppy? Where did I misrepresent God? Where did I walk all over somebody? Review the day. If necessary, repent to God. Necessary decide, look, tomorrow I need to go apologize to this man or that woman. Then go to bed. Make a plan for the next day. Next day comes, God gives you life. You do all you can. You're much more alert than you were the day before based on your evaluation of the previous day. You've learned lessons. You apply them to the next day. We ought to learn from our mistakes and our successes. So that Tuesday ought to have fewer mistakes than Monday. If you're in this kind of work where you do the same thing all over again. And at the end of the week, if you're an Islamic believer before you rest on Friday, if you're a Jew before you rest on the Sabbath, if you were a Christian before you rest on Sunday, you look back over the whole week, just like your God, and you say to yourself, and John saw everything that he had done this week. And behold, it was not good enough. Then you go to your knees, you say, Lord, I have not used your time wisely this week. I see where I went wrong. I see my errors. I see where I put the number one priority on my list at number seven, and I gave more time to number seven over number one. I see that now, Father. I'm sorry. Now, Father, my commitment is for the coming week, if you give me life, to correct those errors and to function in the new week the way you did at creation week. Evaluate what you've done. Now, if you've done your best, remember whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. If you've done your best, you say, Lord, I can only see so far. Is that true? Yes. Only God can see forever. As far as I can see, I have done the best I could have done. Now, Father, with a clear conscience, I rest. I'm not resting, Father, whether it's Friday or Sunday or Saturday, thinking of what's on the desk on the office I've got to get to on Monday because I didn't do it when I should have on Friday. That's not bothering me. My mind is clear. I have done all that I could, and I am resting body, soul, and spirit. Hard, organized work should produce deep, sweet rest. I rest. And Father... The only person who could have done better than I did is you. And you rest. Your conscience clear. 
you've earned the money your employer gave you. You didn't steal and rob by being sloppy. You have done your best in the classroom. And you can go to your God and thank him for the brains he gave you. Let him know, Father, I'm using my brains the best that I can. Now let's go back to uh, Ecclesiastes 9. Let's go back there. Verse 10. We didn't read the entire verse. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. As we come to the conclusion of the subject, how to succeed without being a genius. Do we have it? Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Now, the wisest man who ever lived, he gives the reason why we should always do our best. And the reason, if I can sum it up, is this. You cannot rehearse this life. I didn't say that clearly enough. You have to live life. You don't rehearse life. This is the only life you have. So Solomon says, the reason why you must do whatever your hand finds to do with all your might is because there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Do you understand what Solomon is saying? You are heading for the grave. You cannot go back and undo what you have done badly. Your best choice is the first time you have to do it, do it how? Do it well. Leave a track record that is an inspiration for somebody else. You know, when you walk through a farm, I'm going to move my camera person. About to move, about to move, cameraman, about to move. See how nice I am. <laughs> when you walk through a farm where there are cows, how do you walk? You, you know what cows leave on the ground? And you step here. And you step there, and if you make a mistake. Now, there are some people whose lives, based on the life they live, when someone comes after them, the person sees that kind of life, that kind of track record, and the way... They, eh, I don't want to live like that. Mm-mm. No way. Mm-mm. God says, live such a way. Everything you know. Do it well, so someone coming after you will look for your footprints. And so let me step right in his Yes, this is hard work. Discipline, excellence, self-respect, discipline. You put your foot in those footprints, you end up the same way. A record of excellence. Why? This is the only life you have. For there's no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Listen to me. If you lose your health, you can get it back. Am I right? Yes, I'm right. Say yes, I'm right. If you lose your money, you can get it back. Lose your girlfriend, you can get her back. Lose your boyfriend, you get him back. You lose an opportunity. You lose time. You cannot get it back. Are you listening to me? You lose time. You cannot get it back. And all the wish I coulda, I shoulda, I woulda, does not bring back that wasted opportunity. There are people in their 50s and 60s now spending a lot of time wishing that they should have done what they should have done in their 20s. Your 20s are not coming back. What you ought to do after you repent to God 
is make sure your 50s are lived in such a way you don't do the same thing in your 70s. Amen. My brothers and my sisters, God worked. Let's leave secular work. Let's go to the spiritual level. Are you working to make sure you get a place in God's kingdom? Now, this is not salvation by works. Don't get me wrong. Only God can save you. But only you can let God know you want to be saved. Come on, say amen. I'll clarify that tomorrow night. Let me repeat it. Only God can save you. But only you can let God know without doubt, I am serious about being saved now. That's your work. That's your work. Salvation is God's work. Let's do ours. Are you working hard to make sure you spend time in God's word? That's your work. God will never come down and take the Bible off your shelf, dust it off, get in bed with you, lift your head, put it on his shoulder, and read the Psalms to you. Mm. No, sir. That's your work. And as God worked and worked well, how determined, how serious, how dedicated are you to working to let God see? I am serious about getting a place in your kingdom when you come. Are you making time for the word? You've got a busy schedule. You work two jobs, three jobs. Are you making time to be found in God's house? Where God's people meet, where you can find spiritual strength. Notice how strong you feel in church. The moment you leave, you're all alone, you feel a little weak. There is strength in numbers. Do you make time to be found where God's people are? Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. The Bible says five Israelis would put to flight a thousand of the enemy. Ten would put to flight ten thousand. More people, more power. If five perfect people are praying and twenty perfect people are praying over there, there's more power over there than over here. Are you taking your time with God seriously? Are you taking time to witness? When was the last time you invited your unbelieving colleague on the job to join you at church? Or when was the last time you said, listen, let's have a little book club? Oh, I found this book was such a blessing to me. Read it and let me know what you think. Small book, 100 pages, called Steps to Christ. Oh, when was the last time you said, listen, there's a program, it's, called, it's on 3ABN, it comes in on Sundays from 4 to 5, it's about how to strengthen the family. Watch it. Are you seriously trying to lead someone to Christ? Listen to me. No one walks through heaven's gates who has not made an effort to bring someone with them. You see, you can go to hell alone. You can't go to heaven alone. I see you didn't get that either. Maybe by the time this series ends, I'll get the amens I want so badly. You can go to hell alone, and you should. Don't take someone with you. But you cannot go to heaven alone. God requires bring someone with you, because that's an expression of your love. So you ought to bring someone here. Night after night. Don't you like the word of God you're hearing from the desk? Not my words. You don't come from me. 
you come for the everlasting words of God. My beloved brothers and sisters, how to succeed without being a genius? I have given you some biblical principles. But take them now and apply them spiritually. How to get close to God without being Enoch? Hmm? You don't have to be Enoch. You don't have to be Moses who spoke face to face with God. You just have to do the best you can. Are you doing all you can to get close to God? That's your work. Get close to God by prayer and study. How many of you will say, Lord, give me the mind, give me the strength to do all I can to be close to you. If you will say that from your heart, raise your right hand. Now, do you mean that? Stand up, stand up. With all our hearts, let's try to get close to God. With all your heart, invite someone. God is good, what do you say? And all the time? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you to thank you for the example you left us in Genesis 1, how to work. Your high view of work, your high view of time. You're always having a purpose and then bringing something into existence to carry out that purpose. Your sense of timing, never late, never too early. We thank you for working hard, working well, and resting after working hard. Grant to us those principles, dear God, that we may work like our God and live a life of excellence for others to follow. We offer this prayer from our hearts in Jesus' name and for his sake. Let all hardworking people say, Amen. And amen. God bless you. Let me get to the door and shake some hands. God bless you. See you tomorrow. What time? Seven o'clock. Don't be late.